Hello and welcome to Coffee and Cocktails. I'm your host, Dr. Ann Wand. We have the pleasure today of listening to business coach, Dr. Claudia Consorati, who will be talking to us about getting paid what you're worth and feeling empowered around money. But rather than ask what drink you're having for the show, Dr. Consolati, would you like to begin? Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much, Anne, for having me. And I'm excited to talk about this topic because I've personally thought about it a lot over the past four or five years. And I've done a lot of work around it coming Hmm. from an academic background. And I'm still a full-time professor, but I sort of realized kind of like around 2016 that something wasn't working for me. And... It was a professional realization that was like, okay, I like my job as a professor and as a researcher and a scholar, but I'm also meant to do something different and I'm meant to do more. And that's when I started my own business as a business coach to help women kind of like tap into their authentic voice and getting getting it out into the world through their business. But part of the process was also realizing that I needed to do some work around money because I had to admit to myself that I wanted to make a lot more money than what I was making in academia. And at first I had to figure out how, and that's how I started my own business. But then I realized also that there was a practical component that was like, okay, maybe I can start a side hustle to make more money. But then there was also a mindset and energetic component in terms of money. And that I was living in a frame of mind and in a culture that did not promote abundance around money like the academic setting, but promoted scarcity around money. And definitely academia is not the only place where that happens. We kind of like tend to live in a culture that promotes scarcity versus abundance um, around money. And also a culture that where money, especially for women, is kind of like a tricky topic because like in terms of like the history of like, if we think about like the gender pay gap or like the history of like, you know, women's evolution in society, it's not until that long ago that we did not have access to money. And our only way to be empowered around money was to marry well. So I had to kind of like start realizing all these things that were impacting me around money. And just a disclaimer, this is not like a finance (laughs) class. This is not about the practical component of money. It's more about the mindset and the energetic and realizing the stories that we carry around money that come from society and from our family of origin as well. And that we have power around that. And that was a big, big turning point for me, realizing that I had power around money. And the way I frame it now, I work mostly with women, but I think it can apply uh, to all genders. Is that like, the way I was approaching money was very dependent. Even though I was financially independent because I had this academic job and I was getting paid and I had, you know, I wasn't dependent on anybody. But like in my mind, I was kind of like dependent on what I call daddy. And like for me, in terms of my family, it is a father figure. But also like in terms of like society, I was like hoping for some daddy figure to kind of like save me around money. And realizing that wasn't a lot of fun, but I was like, well, I can do something about it. And I can really think about the stories I've been told about money and the stories I've internalized around money and maybe start unpacking that and start rewriting that. Because I also realized with the daddy realization, I also realized that I had a lot of power to rewrite those stories and to decide my own 
money stories and how I wanted to approach money. And another disclaimer here is that there are systemic issues as well. So I know some people say that, oh, money only come, comes from you, but like there are also systemic issues that really impact the access that we have to money and how we can create money. So I just want to make sure that to put that out there because that's a real, a real thing. So the first thing for me was realizing that money is not a thing, but it's an energy. And it's something that flows and it flows back and forth. And it's not about having the thing. It's about tapping into the energy of money and what that really means for you. And the energy of money, because it's about exchange and it's about growth. And sometimes it's also about survival. It's something that kind of flows and it's something that we have access to in terms of energy and that we can tap into. And I realized with that realization, I also realized that I wasn't tapped into it at all. I kind of had an, a passive approach to money because I was getting paid a salary and I was taking it in, but I wasn't really like, I didn't have a relationship with it. And there were practical components to that. I was good with money. So I've never been bad with money. I've always managed my money okay. But like, I wasn't empowered around it. I wasn't like, taking it in and then putting it out in a conscious and empowered way. Because maybe like I was still kind of like looking for a savior of, of some sort, right? Around money, I was like, oh, the academia is going to save me or like daddy is going to save me or the government is going to save me, right? And I was also switching from like being an employee as an academic and to being an entrepreneur and like, that's a whole other set of issues, right? In terms of being empowered around your choices and having to make your own choices. The first step was kind of realizing that I was living in a scarcity mindset around money and that academia was based on scarcity. And we all know that that is an issue. You know, people are underpaid and overworked and they are also taught, which I find very problematic to be thankful for being overworked and underpaid, right? And like, that made me very angry realizing that and made me feel kind of powerless. But then I was like, no, I can do something about that. So kind of like giving yourself permission to realize that that's not how things are supposed to be. And that the way, say, academia is set up is based on scarcity and exploitation of labor and exploitation of uh, intellectual, not just intellectual labor, but also like intellect, you know, like I would see like all these brilliant people in academia getting like overworked and underpaid. And I was like, there was something in my system that was like, this does not feel right. This is not how it's supposed to be. And it was just like, I almost couldn't do anything about it because like, I just had to follow this pull and that had to do with money too. It was like, this is not right. It's not right. I remember going on a job interview to Chicago with a two day notice in the deep, in the depth of winter as a graduate student, I was, I was asked to kind of like hop on a plane. That was not like the most expensive thing ever, but it's like, I was a graduate student to interview for a job that I had very little shots of getting because the market is oversaturated. And I'm like, this is not right. So I had like a physical reaction to that. And I was like, there's, there's got to be another way, right? So kind of like realizing the reality of the system. And if you're kind of like grappling with these ideas right now, I want to give you full permission to 
realize that the system is set up a different, a, a specific way. And that specific way is scarcity, like abundance of labor and scarcity of nourishment, including financial nourishment and payoff. So like full transparency, full realization about the system that we're brought up in. On top of that, of our professional situations, we all have family stories around money. And, you know, a lot of us might have grown up with not a lot of money, or we might have grown up with like families that like saved a lot, but never spent money. So there was always this mentality of scarcity around money. So I did a lot of work around unpacking the messages that I received around money from my family. And there's always a lot there. So this is always something that I recommend people do extensively in terms of realizing the messages that they received from family, but being also very specific from your mom, from your dad, in terms of like what money is and how money is handled. So in my case, money was not to be spent. And so it was a very like graspy kind of like approach to money where like, it's hard to get, and this is also very common, that money is hard to get, which is honestly not true. I mean, like, you have to become an entrepreneur to be like, oh, I can actually create money by putting myself out there. And that's like, that changed everything for me. But like, in my case, just to give you an example of like a family history, a story around money, money was hard to get. So you had to work very, very hard to get money. And then money had to be kept. So there was not like trust that if you spent money, money would come back. It was like this very graspy, very like survival based um, energy around money, which to me, you know, like analyzing it from an intellectual perspective, it makes sense because my family's from Italy, you know, like they weren't born. My parents were not born during World War II, but like their parents were. So like their approach to money probably was very different being born like during, you know, like living through World War II and like where money is uh, a scarce resource you have to hold on to it right but like we live in different times now and I had to kind of like understand this genealogy of money stories that was coming down to me uh, when the truth was like no I had access to money and I could do something with money and um, yeah I had to like rewrite those stories in terms of like being feeling more empowered around money and creating the money that I really wanted to make. So another thing that I'll say is also like get really, really honest with yourself about the money that you really want to make. And not just the money where you're like, oh, with this I could live comfortably. Also money that you want to just have. You know, there's so much like negative bias around money. And it's, it can be such a triggering topic, even the idea of like enjoying money. And I'm like, and I had to do personally a lot of work around that. But it's also like, no, you can actually have money and enjoy money. So another pow powerful question that I had to ask myself around this is like, what ideas do I have about rich people, right? Who do I think rich people are? Do I think, and I thought they were like, not nice people, exploiting others. They were like, exploiting like resources and you know all around like yeah not nice people to be around I was like at first I was like I don't want to be like that at all right so like I was repelling money because I'm like oh I'm not a bad person I don't want to have money 
and so many people, especially in academia where it's like, it's supposed to be like so lofty and intellectual and money feels like so like down to earth, kind of like lower level. Um, we might associate money with something like that's not intellectually sophisticated enough or something that's bad, right? And just getting super honest with ourselves around that and that summoning also evidence in terms of like money being a force for good, which is like, that's what I believe 100% now. And I believe actually that with money, my good qualities get amplified. So I can use money to enjoy it, but also like for the charities that I care about, you know, to pour resources into the world that I want to see into stuff that I really, I really, really care about. And uh, another thing that comes up in relation to money and that I noticed in myself and I always, when I work with clients on their money stories, because like I help women start and grow their own businesses and like money stuff really comes up, especially when we're like charging high ticket fees that are thousands of dollars. So like we do a lot of money mindset work. Another thing that comes up all the time is shame around money. Whether because like we didn't have money or we made poor decisions around money or we don't trust ourselves with money. Maybe we've made bad investments in the past or we're like, some people just have the story of like, oh, I'm just not good with money. And right, that's an avoidance strategy. And I know so many women who have that story. And because also like traditionally in society, it was, the, it was the man who took care of money. And a lot of like family structures are also structured that way right now. And it's something that comes up with my clients all the time. So the story that I'm not good with money is really like an avoidance strategy. We're really avoiding the subject because it makes us very, very uncomfortable. And what's underneath that is a lot of shame around our own relationship with money. So really, I had to unpack that a lot, saying like, okay, when did I make bad decisions around money? Why do I not trust myself around money? And what I realized was that I had this like underlying assumption that somehow I hadn't even made crazy investments, but I had this underlying assumption that I would be good, bad with money, like not knowing how to manage it. And then I'm like, no, actually, I'm really good with money. <laughs> and I had to practice using money to figure that out. And, but it was interesting to me to notice that initial assumption that I wouldn't be good with money. And it goes back to our relationship to this daddy figure who's supposed to be the one, uh, it could be an actual figure or like more of a concept, kind of like the super ego. Some, some like this entity who knows the right way to handle money. And somehow I thought I wasn't that and I wasn't good with money. And I was like, I, I had to really look at that and unpack that also because I knew I wanted to make a lot more money and I wanted to charge premium fees. I mean, I needed to charge premium fees to, to make my business sustainable. And I had to unpack that. And I was like, well, what if it's not true? What if everything that you think around money and your ability to handle money and your ability to make money is not true? Can you give yourself permission to challenge all of your assumptions around money and people with money and people who make money and also your relationship with money. And that's really the first step in terms of like getting to a place where you can charge what you're really worth. Regardless of the system that you're in, you can still like, you know, 
be active in that system, but also develop this other consciousness that gives you a lot more power around money because the system is very disempowering. And so I just like, I kind of like one day I really woke up and I was like, I'm going to make the decision. And I made that decision to feel empowered around money, to trust that I was going to make the right decisions around money, even with big investments, because I charge high fees, but like I spent high fees as well before I would make the money. Right. So like I've made kind of like scary investments as well. And that's something that also helped me kind of like up level my mindset around money, actually spending a higher amount of money really helped me up level my mindset and tap into the flow of abundance, trusting that money will come back. You know, sometimes I would not know exactly how it would come back, but like spending was very helpful for me, especially for my own money story around like always grabbing onto money because like if you spend it, it's just going to disappear. Right. So you have to like really save and accumulate and not really enjoy it. And I'm like, I think money is supposed to be something in the flow. It's something that comes back if you spend it. So it's a renewable resource. It's something that can be fun and it's something that can be used. I like, I firmly believe that we need money in the hands of good people that use it for good. So like, it's something that can be used towards those resources that will make the world a better place. And so like, I have several causes that I really care about and I want to be able to fund them and to offer my contribution. And it took me a little bit to get here. You know, like I feel like now I'm aligned and I'm always growing because like I want my business is growing and I want to charge more and more and I want to scale. And sometimes it's a lot to take in, right? This kind of expansion, but like it took me a few years to get fully aligned with the energy of money, right? And understanding that it's something that I had control over, something that I could tap into and something that I could feel empowered around and use to make the world a better place through my business and my money choices and to use to enjoy myself more than the model that I've been taught about overworking, money's hard to get, you have to work yourself to the bone. And I do work, so it's not like, I'm not like... (laughs) you know, at the beach all day, but it's a different type of work when you're tapped into the flow and trust that the resources are going to come back. It's not just about giving without receiving, which is a lot of like the systems that we work and live in. It's like you give a lot, but then you trust and you know, kind of like I know at a cellular level that I'm going to receive back. And I would have other things to say and other um, questions to suggest in terms of starting to unpack your own money mindset. And it's totally okay also if this conversation brings up a lot and if what I say is kind of triggering because money is a big topic and we all have our own beliefs around it. So also full permission there. It's totally okay. It's kind of like expected, but I'm going to stop here so that we can we can have a chat around it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, I want to make clear for those that are listening or watching, um, you offer free 30 minute phone calls for those who just kind of like myself are just trying to figure out how to sort of take the skills that we have and create something out of it. Um, You know, one of the things that's really come out out of this pandemic that has been really eye opening for me is that you can have all the skill sets under the sun 
But if there are no jobs, there are no jobs. And many of us are in a situation where we don't have the capacity to move. You know, one of the things that I get a lot from family and friends in in the U.S. is they say, well, why don't you move here? And I, I don't think they fully quite understand all the implications that go into that of, you know, if you've got in our situation, we've got a family where we've got different nationalities, you know, and um, mm -hmm. we have a COVID crisis where many parts of the U.S. are not protecting themselves like they should. And we live in a very safe environment. So, you know, it's it's not just I'll just pick up and go, but you need to be able to go to something. And um, a lot of us right now, I think, are starting to prioritize. We need to think about what works best for us. And so it's been really good having these conversations with you because it's given me permission to think outside the box and to realize mm -hmm. that I'm not crazy in having these ideas and that these ideas can actually be sustainable if I give the time necessary to really think about it. So I wrote a bunch of notes. Um, you know, that's what I do during a lot of these recordings, um, which is one of the things about being on, you know, video these days. People see me writing notes, but notes are better than, as my dad says, short pencils, better than a long memory. But um, one of the things that really came to mind is you talked about this sort of like taboo or almost like we should be appreciative for the money that we have. And it, it got me thinking about an interview that I did a couple years ago. And I've thought about it and it was almost like the people who were interviewing me were trying to trip me up. So the question they asked me during the interview was if I had a choice between being the richest person in the world or the poorest person in the world, which one would I pick and why? And I thought, well, this is one of those questions where you're never going to, there's no right answer, but mm -hmm. it's almost like you want me to say I'd rather be the poorest person in the world because then that makes me seem super humble. But I don't want to be the poorest person in the world because no. I don't want to be living in a, you know, I don't want to be starving. Yeah, you, so, yeah. you know, I remember I gave them an answer, but it was, you know, and I, you know, I said things about, you know, like I told a friend, I, Keanu Reeves dressed up as Buddha popped into my head. And I thought about how, <laughs> you know, the Buddha came from a wealthy family and, you know, he made the choice to be charitable. And I don't see how how that's necessarily a negative if you have the financial means to give back to society. Like that's a real bonus. Um, yeah, sure. And in the end, you know, I didn't, I didn't even get a call back and I just thought there's no white right way around this. And I think that in some respects there's almost depending on the institutions you're going for, there's almost like, um, like they, they have the power, you know what I mean? They know that you need this. And like you said, it's almost like you need to be thankful. And for some of these yeah. positions, they don't even pay enough for you to live off of. And, and well, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, I just it's and I'm and I keep thinking, like, why am I here? Like, why do I have to be here? I mean, I know theoretically why I need to be here, but I can easily leave. And I think there's almost like an abusive power behind that as well. And I had that's just one example that I've had among several. And I don't know. I'd just be curious to know your thoughts about that. Yeah, totally. I think also if you stay in this scarcity mindset of like, oh, I should be thankful to make like $3,000 a semester, like that benefits them, right? You think you, you might think that you're being a lofty and humble, but like you're really playing their game, right? Because they don't want you to be empowered. They want you to keep teaching without benefits and for like dimes an hour. 
And like, so this is like my push to you, like figure something out, get out, get out, which could mean like you keep teaching, you know, it doesn't mean that you quit and you <laughs> leave the country, but like, sure, sure. if you want to keep, you know, keep teaching, that's fine. But like, find the other thing, right? Because like, also like what I saw and I, you know, I also want to mention that I have these free calls that uh, if you're like, okay, I want to like monetize my skills because I need to make more money, but also like I feel kind of undervalued. Yes, in definitely. The right now, and I need to like feel more empowered in general and feel that there's a use for all my skills, right? So super happy to hop on a 30 minute complimentary chat where we can kind of like figure that out and figure out what your thing is and where you could like, in which direction you can move to. And because it was something I was seeing was like all these like super talented people. I mean, academia is like, it's amazing. There's like these super talented people that make no money or yes. if they make a decent salary, they're not, they're overworked, they're not valued enough. And I was like, this is also not right. I mean, like, I'm pretty good. Like, I want to get paid what I'm worth. And when I have like, also like a following and like, you know, people who re- really respect me and like, I always had a good relationship with students, but like, also like, I need a system that's more empowering to me. And then I was like, I think I can create it through my mm. own company. Right. Yeah. And uh, so that's what I did. And I was like, was it scary? It was really scary, you know, to get out of the system that that was the only thing I knew. I didn't know any academic um, person who started their own business. And it was like, I, especially like I got my PhD from an Ivy league school. And that was like very, very much as you can expect, like ivory tower, you need to do only that. There's a lot of shame in yes, leaving. and guilt in leaving. And guilt, a lot of guilt. Right? So it's that abuse and that's to- it's toxic. Like you are in a toxic relationship. And yeah. I had to admit that to myself. And I was like, okay, maybe me choosing to play this game is part of the toxicity. I have power over that. And my response was to start a side hustle. Then now it's becoming kind of like a main hustle. And it also like something else is like, you know, like I'm making X money in academia and then there's no opportunity for real growth, right? Monetarily speaking, it's like, yes, maybe I'll make like 20,000 more by the end of my career, um, which seems like a lot in academic terms. And I'm like, that's not exciting to me. You know, like I like to be rewarded even financially for my hard work and my skills, because I put a lot of work in that intellectually and also like in terms of self-growth and learning stuff. So yeah, realizing that you are in a toxic relationship and that by staying stuck and by accepting, maybe thinking that like, oh, money is bad or like I'm a bad person if I have money. I want to be the richest person. I don't want to be the poorest person. Why would I want to be that? But realizing that if you stay stuck in that, you you're playing by their rules. Like you're playing by the narcissist's rule in some way. And you're benefiting. And I think there, you know, there was, so there was this, um, I don't know, I tell people to to go onto masterclass.com because I think that they have some really good advice. And one of the videos I watched, um, because I've been thinking about this idea of, you know, launching my own sort of business and what, what would that look like and what would that entail? And I watched Sarah Blakely who runs Spanx. And she was talking about how she got to where she was. And basically, she used to be a door-to-door salesman, and she sold um, fax machines. And she remembers through this process 
um, kind of getting kicked out of buildings because they didn't want the product. And she was obviously getting paid to do this as, as her line of work. And she says she remembers sitting in her car going, this can't be my life. Yeah. yeah. This, this can't be it. And she'd had this idea that she was like toying in the back of her head where she wanted to create footless pantyhose. And she hadn't told her family about this um, because she knew that they would think she was crazy. And so she would spend her nights and weekends trying to design. She'd never worked in lingerie. She'd never worked in undergarments, but she had this idea. Anyway, fast forward, and she finally decides to come out to her family and say, okay, guys, this is what I've been working on for two and a half years. And they say, what is it? And she goes, I'm going to create footless pantyhose. And they go, what? And she's like, I know it sounds crazy, but I think I think it might have legs, literally. And um, anyway, she talked about her journey and how she didn't have a sponsor. And she was just Sarah Blakely showing up to these factories. And she was having to, you know, be the face and kind of be all the hats. But what I really liked in listening to her is that it sounded so normal. She just yeah. sounded like a normal human being which I'm sure she is, but who had an idea, who felt like she could, if given the possibility, put her energy into that and that it might turn into something that could eventually become her job. But she says, look, I don't have a background in business. Yeah, um, I was really good at sales. Um, and I think one of the things to be mindful of is, you know, she could she could sell ice to, you know, people in Alaska. Like she could she could sell ice to anybody. But she knew what she was really good at and she knew what she needed help with. And so that's when she started outsourcing. Yeah. And one of the things I've found even just in running this podcast is that there are things that I'm good at, but there are things that I clearly need help with. So yeah. I hire out um, a graphic design manager and I hire out advice on, you know, how, how to launch things, you know, because I don't know this. But I think what's really interesting about in talking to you is that you don't have to have a background in business in order to do something that you care about that you know could be useful to other people. And I think that that is invaluable advice because I think one of the things in in talking to people who run these small businesses or large businesses is that you need to you need to be okay with not having a security net. And I think that that kind of keeps them from wanting to see what is out there because they're afraid of what happens if it doesn't work, right? So did you have any kind of like tips about that, about how to get out of that mindset or work past yeah. it? First of all, I want to say I love the Sarah Blakely story because like, it's true. Like, I'm sure she had a lot of grit. I have a lot of like persistence, right? Maybe that's the quality because you just have to keep at it in the long run. Um, like that would, I would say that's the quality that really helps. You cannot like, you have to commit to it. But then like, you know, you can totally be a normal person. You can also like be an intellectual and have a business. That was like a big struggle for me, like managing those two identities. And now I'm like, they're totally integrated. And it's not like, because like the way I do business is not like, it's very like relationship based and like connecting with people. So it's not like, yeah, it's not about like just selling and pushing products on people. I don't, that doesn't feel good. I don't like that. So like I've set up my business in a way that was for me also in terms of like the feeling that it elicits in me and my people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I feel like also needs to be part of this process is being able to ignore the naysayers. Oh, totally. Um, 
Because I can, I mean, I had a conversation yesterday actually with somebody about this idea I wanted to get off the ground that I think if I could figure out how to make it work, it would be helpful for me. It might hopefully be helpful for other people. And I remember this person had said, you know, but it sounds to me like you're really selling yourself short, that you're not using all of your skill sets. And I had to explain to her, well, because I think in her head, she had this idea of we've got a background in X, then you should be doing Y, right? And I said to her, well, why doesn't exist anymore? You know, like that world is unfortunately not sustainable. Um, there's just no growth. There's no opportunity. It, it just isn't going to happen. It's the way it is. And I said, I don't, I don't think she fully understood that you can take your skills and you can take a idea and ramp it up because of your skills. So maybe on paper, you know, the idea might seem a bit kind of, you know, vanilla. But if you've got these skill sets, then suddenly it's fuchsia. Suddenly it's like, ooh, that's interesting. I never really thought of it that way before. And I think being being willing to kind of ignore or move past the supposed unsolicited advice because yeah. they're not the ones with the vision. They're not the ones with the idea. They're just hearing, you know, footless pantyhose and they're going, wait, what? So, and, yeah. Yeah, Sorry. anyway, go on. I mean, like, you know, then having the multi-six-figure business that changes people's lives and, like, allows you to work from the beach and invest money in what you really care about, that doesn't sound so vanilla to me, right? What sounds vanilla is, like, fitting into a system that really exploits you and yeah. thinking you're the bigger person because you're not willing to step out of your comfort zone. And I say it with, like, full love. I've been there, and it's hard, and also, like, related to what you said is that, like, yeah, be very particular around who you share your idea with, because sometimes we also look for validation from the wrong people that have a different mindset and don't have the yeah. vision. When I think in yeah. my case, I, I was talking to somebody who would be a potential client. So yeah. that that was my thinking is you're my target audience. So I want to sort of pitch this. Um, and I think I think this individual um you know, you, you ask, you get what you get, right? So I think, um, like you said, it, it is good to be extremely selective on the ideas that you do have. Um, and in my case, I thought, you know, what's all part of the feedback process. And that's why I need to think about how I launch this in such a way that it doesn't come across like her interpretation, but that hopefully it can come across as something better than that, right? So yeah, and in terms of the safety net that you were asking, so I think it depends on your business model. You can be smart around it and you can build something sustainable in the long term. There's more fluctuation, but also like if you're an agent, that's not a safety net. You no, know, like, no. So like also like this idea, I think also like having an online business is like, is the safety net that you need for the future versus like relying on these institutions that are crumbling under our eyes, especially during COVID, right? Like, that was also, I mean, on a more practical level, so I was like, I need another source of income because I don't know what's going to happen here. And I don't trust that this is going to stay or that, that they really care about my position, right? So, like, there was a practical component as well. So, like, I also want to switch it a little bit, saying, like, actually an online business could be a safety net. So it might take a little bit. It's not going to happen overnight. So it might take, take a little bit to get it to the point where it's like, oh, this is, like, solid, and we're only growing from here. But like, if you set up these foundations in the right way, 
and I work a lot with clients on that, then it's only if you keep at it also like it, but you don't have to overwork it. It's not that you have to like stay awake, like the day and the night to work at it. There's very simple things that you have to do and just do them consistently. If you keep at it, you can build a really solid foundation to then like make it a full-time income and then scalable. So it's not just about like, okay, I want to replace my income. It's like, which might be fine, you know, like if that's what you want to do or if you want to side a hustle, that's also fine. It depends on really like what your needs are. And some of us, you know, some of us want to make a lot of money and some of us don't want to make a lot of money. So that's also completely fine. Just to get honest with where you're at. If you're like, you know, like having as a solopreneur, like a six figure income, it's plenty, right? Mm. And I, I'm not willing to like, hire more people to do like extra work so that I can scale to multi six figures. That's totally fine as well. So like it's whatever works for you, but then that can really become a safety net. Like I hear stories about like people who like retire their husbands and now they work on the business or maybe like the finance side of the business while they do the creative work Mm. Um, and the coaching one-on-one or the online courses or whatever. Right. So like, if you keep at it and you're smart about hiring support soon and very early on in the process, which is something that I didn't do. So it took me a little bit longer to get where I'm at. And you just keep at it and build the foundations in a very smart way that can become a really a safety net, especially as like our world becomes more unpredictable and like traditional institutions are not reliable. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And I think um, if we could just kind of end with one more question that I know has been on my mind is how do you deal with pricing issues? So how do you talk to your clients about feeling, you know, A, how do you price your services and how do you feel comfortable providing? Because like we talked about, you know, if you work in our industry, you're so used to getting underpaid and you're overworked and and getting out of that mindset of of basically exploit being exploited and and abused to say, no, I I will charge this. This is my offer. And there is yeah. There, I'm a you know, because I think my mistake is I am so used to apologizing, yeah. and I'm so used to saying I'm really sorry, but dot dot dot. And what was interesting is I I did like a, t- a trial test last week, and um, because I'm starting to slowly build up clientele, and I thought about what number would I feel comfortable with, where I wouldn't feel guilty, right? And so somebody had written me saying, you know, what are your fees? And I said, well, if this is specifically what you're looking for this is the number that i'm i charge i didn't even say i feel comfortable i charge and i didn't hear anything for two days and i thought well you know you had talked about you'll get no's and you'll get yeses and then two days later she said yeah that sounds great and i went oh do you see what i mean and it was just like 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 a like a light bulb went off and i went oh oh, if she said yes like maybe i could charge more for other services yeah maybe do you see what i mean yeah. It was a real good thing. And I, you know, I, I explained to, you know, talking to family, you know, I, I know I need to charge that bit more because I've got like infinite experience in this. I'm not just some run of the mill. I've got, you know. But also because you decide to charge more. So it's not about, I also want to dissociate of like, oh, I have, which you do have all this experience, right? And it should be valued and it is valued. But also like you have power over deciding what to charge because you're like, you make a business plan and you're like, oh, I need to charge people this much. Of course, it has to be done in integrity. So I'm always talking about being Of course, of course. Right? But like, I need to charge this much because like, I only need one, 10 clients. I'm going to give them, when they pay, like everything I got, 
but like this what is what makes my business sustainable so um you can also decide around it and also like to switch that mentality i love to think that i'm making people a favor by asking them money uh to pay me you know the amount that feels good to me because okay. i'm giving them an opportunity to shift the money mindset and if they get triggered by the amount that i charge which is probably like a lot less than i could charge a lot less than I, what i pay my coach right mm. and also investing that much in my coach allowed me to charge more and my prices are going to go up because i i opened i was like going to invest because i trust the money is going to come back and i see the value that she brings and the value that i bring and if someone gets triggered by the money i charge they're not ready to work with me if they get triggered and they're like uh this is a sign that i need to work with her which it really is like it's up to them to make that choice mm right so like i kind of like get out of like feeling responsible for them and i stay in my lane i'm like this is what my services are worth like i show up you know like for 6 months with my clients or in the intensives like i show up like every day for them we're in contact every day you know that is a lot probably i could charge a lot more so like if there's something that gets triggered in them and the same thing with like asking for money but also making offers in general um that's it means that they are not ready or they need to work with me if they want to you know if they're fear but they want to step into that or like um yeah maybe we're not the right fit yeah 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 so pretty much getting out of like feeling responsible for other people getting out also of your clients or potential clients wallets because you have no idea what's happening for them right we kind of like if we live in scarcity mindset that we assume that everyone has scarcity mindset or that everyone doesn't have really money but people have like well, something that I, that has been very informative in running my business is that people approach money in very very different ways and i can never anticipate and like i cannot project the way i would approach money and i tend to i tend to be conservative around money right in fact like i have to push myself to spend more for things that make sense like a a coach a business coach but like there are people who are a lot more flexible with money and like to spend more and um i never know you know so i always assume that i don't know around them the money choices and what they want to invest in i'm very clear on the value i provide not just my expertise but like no we're like we're building your business you know like there could be a multi six figure business on the other side of this it might take a year to mm. set the foundation right so like it's not going to happen overnight and i don't want to say like i have the magic pill i know the steps that you need to take and i'm going to guide you along then you have to to be on that path and I, i'll be there as a as a support system uh but also like it's not my responsibility if they you know if they choose to invest if they don't choose to invest what i do though is like i'm very clear on the benefits that i provide and mm. i explain them in kind of like over and over again in different in in a different fashion and every time so that they they're clear like i want them to be clear on whether it's the right choice for them or not to invest in me even if the investment is scary so like it's kind of like a given if it's like a multiple you know multiple thousand dollars then 
yeah, it's a scary investment. So like even acknowledging that and like having a conversation with them around that. So kind of like it's part of like lifting the veil around money. We can have a conversation around money and how it's scary to invest and how you're afraid and how like, let's talk about whether investing with me is the right choice for you at this time or not. So if you're struggling putting, you know, if you're telling me that you're struggling putting food on the table, it might not be the best time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one thing I kept thinking about um and again, this has just been stuff that's been on my mind that I've learned through the course of, of you know, just networking and that sort of thing, is when I charge less, I realize what's happening in, internally is that I'm, I'm basically saying, I need you. Like, I need you, I need more of you to help cover my overhead fees. Whereas if I charge that little bit more, what I'm actually saying is, is you need my services. And... That is an interesting thing because when I look at uh, market comparisons in the industry I'm considering, those that charge less somehow seem to receive less clients. Whereas those yeah. that charge that little bit more, it's almost like they're inadvertently saying, like, look, I've really, I'm really worth your investments. And um, that was something that I talked about with families that those who have run their own businesses and have charged less thinking they'll get more clients, what ends up happening is they get too many clients and they're not making enough. Whereas if they charge that little bit more, that premium, they have less clients. They're still putting in time, but they're not having to work 12-hour days in order yeah. to cover all their fees. And I think that, that I think, is part of changing the way you look at things and not apologizing, which is, like, I'm talking about myself here, but it is true. It is true. And it's, it's uncomfortable to not apologize. So what I would recommend there is to just, like, even, like, imagine those situations where you're asking for money, kind of, like, in your head, kind of, like, on purpose, re recreating those in your head and like feeling the discomfort that comes up where you would be like, oh, I'm sorry, like apologize right away. Just sit with the discomfort. So like it's about building the muscle for sitting with the discomfort. Speaking of prices also like you can be really smart about your positioning. So it's not just about prices. It's about like positioning yourself with your message as a high, a premium service. Yeah, high absolutely. You know, like, so you can be smart. You can be smart with the foundation. Agreed. Well, I've got to say, this was really good, really, really helpful. And I think I think anyone who's listening or watching is going to get so much out of this, this discussion. You're just a wealth of information. Um, but I've got to say, that's it from us at Coffee and Cocktails with your host, Dr. Ann Wand. I'd like to thank again, Dr. Claudia Consolati for her wonderful talk this afternoon. Uh, if you enjoyed listening to Dr. Consolati, feel free to subscribe to our YouTube channel, leave a comment, or tell a friend about our show. It's support from our viewers and listeners that really helps us to keep the show going. Otherwise, that's it for now. Thanks for listening and have a great week. Bye.